All right. Well, good morning, church family. If you guys have your Bible, you can open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, that's where we're going to be today. Um, as you're turning there, um, and as Adam was praying, um, I just kind of felt compelled just to take a moment and just uh, really acknowledge the events of September 11th and uh, just, you know, it's a day that obviously none of us want to ever forget, and um, we remember uh, the lives that were lost and the tears that were shed, um, the evil that was done, and uh, we don't want to forget that. At the same time, uh, church family, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I think you'll agree with me on this. There are some other things that we should also never forget. We should never forget that the kingdom of Christ is overcoming the kingdom of darkness. We should never forget that one day the Lord will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and one day death will be no more. And we praise God for that. I'm thankful to be able to come today and worship the Lord Jesus, who in his kingdom will bring those things about. He's worthy to be praised, isn't he? He's worthy. I'm glad to be worshiping with you this morning. Um, You guys have probably heard the story about the elephant and the blind men. Um, The story, the parable goes that, you know, long ago uh, in a village in Thailand, there were five blind men who would kind of sit around at the village gates and discuss various things. And one night, they were talking about this animal called an elephant that had been brought to the village. Uh, They didn't know what an elephant was, but they wanted to learn more. So the villagers led these five blind men over to the elephant so they could check it out for themselves. Obviously, the blind men couldn't see the elephant, so they wanted to get to know it by reaching out their hands to touch it. Man number one touched the elephant's side, and what did he say? Oh, this is, this is smooth and solid. It, it, this must be a wall. Man number two said, um, he touched the elephant's trunk, and he said, this is curved and moving. Oh, this is a snake. Man number three touched the elephant's tusk, and he said, okay, this is solid and, and pointed on the end. This must be a spear. Number four, the man number four touched the elephant's leg and said, this is rounded and rugged. Uh, this, this must be a tree. Man number five touched the elephant's tail, and it was kind of skinny and long and flimsy, and he, and he said, uh, this, this is a rope. And the point of the story is that each of them was partially right and partially wrong. And if you've heard this story before, you know that many times people will use this as a reference to religion. And how many people, they'll they'll suggest that when it comes to understanding God and religious things, that all the major religions of the world are partially right, but also, you know, uh, partially wrong about knowing God. And so we just kind of grope around in the dark as human beings, um, basing our understanding of God off of our experiences and the things that we feel. And here's the thing. If you accept that that is true, then when it comes to knowing God, the best that you can have is hunches and guesses. If you accept that that's true, the best that you can have is hunches and guesses. What if God has chosen to reveal himself? What if God gives sight to spiritually blind men? What if God has made himself knowable? This is week three of our sermon series that we're calling Why We're Here. And um, in week one, we talked about The idea of trying to understand what is the purpose for which we were made. Why do we exist? We looked at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 6 and we said that we exist for God. That God has made us, human beings, for himself. And that's why we're here. We exist to know him and to make him known. That's what our lives are all about, right? So that's kind of our summarized, simple motto 
uh, for the purpose of our church, the purpose of our lives as individuals, but also for the lives of our church is what? We exist to know him and to make him known. Last week, we talked about how we want to know God personally. And as we talked about knowing God personally, we looked at John chapter 3 and the story of Nicodemus and the, the fact that Jesus told Nicodemus that um, you need to be born again as religious and as, uh, as much as you know about me, you actually need to be born again. Being born again, we said, comes with having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, then what is happening to us spiritually? We're being born again. We're being made alive. We're going from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. We you know, tie this into... Um, if we want to tie it into today's illustration, we would say that before you're saved, you are spiritually blind. But when you become saved, when you become a Christian, God opens your eyes, spiritual eyes, so that you can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4 talks about. So knowing God starts with knowing him personally. But today we're going to talk about another way that God has made himself known. We're going to talk about the importance of knowing God biblically. Knowing God biblically. So if you remember, I introduced this as a series where we're going to talk about nine characteristics of discipleship that we want to pursue as a church. We want to be a church where we are wholeheartedly following Jesus. Well, what does that look like in our lives? We've laid out nine characteristics of discipleship that we want to pursue as individuals and as a church um, ministry together. Four of those nine characteristics have to do with knowing God. Four of them have to do with making him known, and then there's one characteristic right in the middle that's central to both. So as we talk about knowing God, last week was about knowing him personally, today is about knowing him biblically. So what's the simple, straightforward, big idea for this message? Here it is. If you're a note taker, this is the main main thought. To be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ, you must know him biblically. To be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ, you must know him biblically. Here's how I want to walk through today's message. Um, I really, I want us to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, verses 14 through 17 or so. Some of the verses around it, we'll look at those as well. But really, we want to answer three questions, the same three questions we're going to ask for every sermon in this series. The three questions are, when it comes to knowing Jesus biblically, what does it mean? Why is it important? And how can we pursue it? Right? And that's where we're going through. As we answer those three questions, here's what I hope happens. I hope that for me and for you, I hope that we will, that God will move in our hearts so that we become passionate, uh, that, that we become desirous in our hearts to know God through his word, that we would be compelled in, in, in our spirits to become people who are people of the book that want to know God through his word. I hope that we can say like Peter, Lord, where else are we going to go? Because you, Lord, have the words of eternal life. I hope that we can say like Jeremiah, your words became sweet to me. They were the joy and the delight of my heart. Is that, I wonder, just to put that out there, is that the way you feel about God's word this morning? His words to you are the joy and the delight of your heart. Uh, sometimes I'm there, sometimes, you know, that's the way my devotional life is, and I'm like, Lord, this, is, this has been like tasting honey to me. Other times I'm like, okay, Lord, uh, I'm trusting that this is still a good meal, even if I don't taste it that sweet this time, you know, like, so maybe you can be there too. But some, we want to get into knowing the Lord biblically through uh, looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
when we look at uh, this particular passage of Scripture, just like every passage of Scripture, we need to remember the context that is surrounding the text. So let's remember what's going on. 2 Timothy is called 2 Timothy because it is the second letter to Timothy written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is coming to the end of his life and he's passionate about the message of the gospel being passed on and continuing to be preached faithfully. So he's writing to encourage Timothy, his kind of apostolic assistant who was working alongside him to preach the gospel. He told Timothy in the earlier chapters to guard the good deposit of truth that had been given to him to not be ashamed of the gospel. He called Timothy to teach other men who are able to teach others also so that the gospel can keep being passed down. He told Timothy to keep going even if he suffers, to press on and continue. He warned Timothy that some who have said they believed will walk away from their faith and others will flat out boldly oppose the truth. And that all kind of is the the context that leads up to what Paul writes to Timothy here in our text. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 through 17. Scripture says this. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. Amen? In this passage, we start to see the importance of knowing God biblically. So what does that mean? When we talk about knowing God biblically, what do we mean by that? You're going to hear this language going on and on, you know, for the, the next season of life for our church. So I just think it's very important for us to be uh, clear about what we mean. This particular characteristic of a disciple, knowing God biblically, it's pretty straightforward. Here's what, it, here's what we mean when we say that we need to know him biblically. We mean that we, have a, that we are rightly understanding the truth about God by rightly understanding the truth about Scripture. That we're rightly understanding the truth about God by rightly understanding the truth about Scripture. In our, um, in our text that we just read, verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, you've been acquainted w- uh, with the sacred writings um, ever since you were a child. He says those sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 16, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So again, I think this is pretty straightforward. The Apostle Paul is saying that there are some writings that are sacred writings. They are set apart from all other writings. They are holy writings. And he calls these writings scripture. And he says that these holy writings, these sacred writings, this scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out in in the original Greek languages is the word theonoustos. And it has to do with literally like, just like when you speak words, breath comes out of your mouth, This is what we're talking about. When we're reading scripture, we are talking about the words that come straight from the mouth of God himself. This is where we get the idea of biblical inspiration. 
So if you've heard us talk about this, we believe that Scripture is inspired, or you've heard us talk about the inspiration of Scripture. This is where, uh, this is where we get this idea of the inspiration of Scripture. And I, I do want to make this very clear. When we talk about the Scriptures being um, you know, inspired, we don't necessarily mean that the, the Scriptures are inspirational what we mean is that they are inspired by God. We're talking about the essence of Scripture, not necessarily the effects of Scripture. When we talk about biblical inspiration, we're talking about what the Scripture is, not necessarily what it does, right? What it is is it's God's Word. He's the source. Inspiration means that, that Scripture is God speaking through men to us, Insp- The inspiration of Scripture does not mean that men are just kind of writing down their own musings about God. Inspiration is not just men being creative in their thinking about who God might be and let's just try to write out some things that will emotionally move people. That's not what we mean. Inspiration means that God influenced the authors of Scripture to write these things down to contain the truths about himself. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, and we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, you, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the words of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. When we talk about the inspiration of scripture, we're saying that this book, these words contained in this book, that this is God's own word. In this book, God has revealed himself to us. And so we come to rightly understand the truth about God when we come to rightly understand the truth of Scripture because here is where he has spoken and revealed himself to us. So when we talk about knowing God biblically, that's what we mean. Now, let's get into the second question. Why is it important? Why is it important to know God rightly through the Scriptures? Why does that matter? I want to give you three reasons why we need to know God biblically. I want to give you three reasons why you should pursue knowing God biblically. Three, essentially three reasons why you shouldn't just be satisfied with your own creative thinking about who God is. Why you should take God's word seriously when it comes to knowing the truth about him. The first reason is this. It's because we need to be taught rightly about him. We need to be taught rightly about him. Again, what did we read in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15? It says, Paul's writing to Timothy and saying, hey, young Timothy, young evangelist, young preacher, you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, right? Teaching is, is part of why God gave us the scripture because we have things to learn, right? The scripture is useful for our reproof and our correcting. Well, why do we need reproof and correcting? Because we often don't believe the right things. We believe the wrong things. So the scripture corrects us. It's authoritatively keeping us on track. It's teaching us with authority about who God is. And so Paul says, Timothy, you had to learn sacred writings, Because until you learned the sacred writings, you were what? You were ignorant about what was taught in Scripture. I've said it like this in the past, and I think this is a good illustration. Uh, Guys, the Bible is like a pair of those uh, glasses that they give to colorblind people. You seen those? 
Those people who have the, they're colorblind, they get their glasses and suddenly they can see, right? People can see the world in color the way that it is. Here's the deal. People without those colorblind, you know, glasses, they can, they can see the world without the glasses, but they can't see the world rightly until they have them on. They know enough about the world to know that they're colorblind, but they need something outside of themselves to start to see things as they really are. Guys, that's what the scriptures are. The scriptures are our spectacles. The scriptures are our, are our lenses. Without them, we can see that there's a world and we can see enough to know that there's a God, but with them, we can finally see God for who he actually is. So what do the scriptures tell us about God? What are some things about God that we probably wouldn't know unless we had the Bible? Let me tell you, the Bible tells us this. God is eternal and he has always existed. Psalm 90 verse two says, before the mountains were brought forth or you had ever formed the earth and all the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The scripture teaches us that he is eternal. The scripture teaches us that God is sovereign and that he has supreme authority over all things. Guys, the Bible teaches us that God has authority. He's sovereign over creation. Colossians 1.16, for all things were created through him and for him. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is sovereign over creation. God is sovereign over all of history, the Bible teaches us. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times to things not yet done, I am saying my counsel shall stand and I shall accomplish all my purposes. You guys believe God is sovereign over history? This is what the Bible tells us. God is sovereign over man's salvation. The scripture tells us in Ephesians 1 that we were chosen to be in Christ before the foundations of the earth. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 and 30 says that those God foreknew he predestined. Those who he predestined he also called. Those who he called he also justified. And those who he justified he also glorified. God is sovereign over mankind's salvation. The scripture teaches us that God is righteous. He's, he's perfect in every way. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Psalm 119 verse 37. The scripture teaches us that God is loving that he has care in his heart for mankind. Because of his great love for us, he has made us alive with Christ, Ephesians 2, 4 says. Uh, John three sixteen. we read it last week, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Our God is loving. These are all things about God that we wouldn't know if he hadn't given us the Bible, right? We're just scratching the surface right here. We could talk today about how God is omnipotent and omnipresent. We could talk about how God is omniscient. He's immortal. He's invisible. He's imminent. He's transcendent. We could talk about how the scripture teaches God is faithful and true and just. He's patient. He's merciful. He's gracious. Guys, there's so much more. We can't plumb the depths of the nature and the essence of God, but I can tell you this. We would know none of these things about God if God hadn't given us the truth of his word. We must know God. We can only really know the depths of God through the scriptures. They are our spectacles. Without the scriptures, we would know enough to know that God exists, but with the scriptures, we come to know God as he is. We need to be taught rightly about him. That's why we need to know him biblically. Here's a second reason why we need to know him biblically. It's not just because we need to be taught, it's also because some people will teach wrongly about him. Right? It's not just because we need to be taught rightly, but because others will teach wrongly about him. Again, when we look at our text in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
If you just back up uh, earlier in the chapter, here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, but Timothy, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and leading people astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Man, isn't that the thing about our culture today? Everybody's like wants to talk about questions. Nobody wants to talk about answers. We're afraid of definitive, absolute, objective truth. What a sign that we're in the last days. Paul goes on to write to Timothy and says, while evil people, verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. Guys, re- repeatedly throughout scripture, we are told that false teachers will arise. And not just that false teachers will arise, but that some people will follow, follow them. I wonder, have you ever actually personally interacted with a false teacher? I know a lot of us have gone to church our whole lives and probably been around teachers, but have you ever interacted with a false teacher? Rachel and I, um, you know, had a, a vacation by ourselves a, a little while ago, and while we were on that vacation, we actually hopped into uh, a taxi to get from the airport to the place we were staying, and, and uh, this was one of those big van taxis that had a bunch of people in it. And so I got to sit in the passenger seat right up front by the driver. Everybody else was in the back, and I started talking to the driver about things. And, of course, you know, he asks, what do I do? And I tell him, I'm a pastor of a church in Ohio. And he was like, his very next question to me, he was like, does your church actually believe the Bible? I was like, yes, we do. And I know you're going somewhere with this, so let me just say, we, and, he, and his next question was, do you believe all of the Bible? And I'm like, Yes, of course, we believe all of the Bible when it's rightly understood and rightly interpreted. And this guy was like, okay, good, because, uh, you know, I want to tell you, the scripture teaches that animals are divine, that they are God incarnate, that when we eat animal meat, we are eating and drinking the flesh and blood of Jesus. And this is like this guy like starting to talk to me about this in the midst of this like van full of people. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Like, you know. And this guy, he really did have some, some strange views and uh, have no idea where he got them. But he was very passionate. He, he could quote a lot of scripture, wrongfully interpreted, which reminded me a lot of the way that Satan tempted Jesus, quoting a lot of scripture, but using it wrongly. This man could quote a lot of Bible, but it doesn't mean he understood a lot of Bible. He was misinterpreting the Bible, and in doing so, he was misinterpreting God, but also misleading people about God. Whether it was intentional or not, he was leading people astray. Now, it's kind of trivial when you talk about a, a taxi driver, maybe, maybe trivial, maybe not, who knows how much he talks about this, but who knows if he had any followers or not. But here's the thing. What about people who have large groups of followers? What about people who sell books to the masses and totally mislead them about God? What about pastors who lead megachurches and totally mislead them? 
I don't know if you've ever met false teachers, but I've met some. I've met pastors, right? We're talking about people who have people coming to their church, congregations, and they'll teach them, you are only saved, you are only truly saved if you are sinless, right? This is, these are pastors in our area, Dayton area. I've met pastors who would say, yes, you need to trust in Jesus, but then when you ask them, is Jesus the only way to God, they would say no. These are pastors in this area. I have met ministry leaders in this area who have totally rejected the truth, and they, they reject any part of the scriptures that talk about hell or God's wrath, right? These are the types of things. These are the lies that people believe, and these are the lies that sometimes people teach when they stop believing that the scriptures have sufficiently revealed God to us. When the scriptures become not enough, not sufficient for you, this is where you go. You go off track. The scriptures teach us, guys, that there is a very real adversary. The scriptures teach us that there is a a being named Satan, the devil, and that he is the father of what? Lies. He has been a liar and a deceiver from the beginning, the scripture says, which means he will come against you. He will come against me. He came against Christ himself with lies cloaked in quoting scripture. You get that? Right? He does this also that we disbelieve the truth about God's word and therefore do not rightly understand God. Knowing God biblically is important because the enemy will raise up some people to teach wrongly about him. That's why it matters that we know Christ, that we know, Christ, that we know the Lord biblically with right understanding. Here's the last reason why it's important to know God biblically. It's because it's how we come to salvation through Jesus. It's important that we know the Lord biblically because it's through the message of the Bible, through the message of the gospel, that we come to salvation through Jesus. What does Paul say to Timothy again in verse 14 and 15? Continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, remember, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are what? Able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Guys, The scripture, the message of the scripture is what makes us wise unto salvation. And salvation is built on the knowledge of truth as revealed in the scripture. In other words, the scripture teaches us something much more than, hey, Jesus wants to be your friend. The scriptures teach us something much more than, just just pray this magic prayer and Jesus will come into your heart, right? The scriptures teach us something, the scripture teaches us about the conditions of our heart. The scripture teaches us that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The scripture teaches us in Mark 7 that, that out, of the, out of our hearts come all sorts of sin. The scripture teaches us not just the truth about our hearts. The scriptures teach us the truth about God that we've already unpacked earlier in this message. That he's loving and gracious beyond our wildest imagination. He loves us more than we can even imagine. But at the same time, he is holy and just and that in his justice in his perfect justice he will punish sin and bring eternal punishment on those who have not trusted in his son but have rejected him the scriptures teach us the truth about Jesus Christ himself not just that Jesus was a good man not just that Jesus was a teacher but that he was the son of God and he died on the cross in our place for our sins as our substitute so that our punishment for sin could be paid by him and our sin debt could be removed. It could be paid and our relationship with God could be restored because our sin barrier has been taken away. 
The scriptures teach us this. We wouldn't know this without the Bible. The scriptures teach us the truth about people. The scriptures teach us the truth about mankind, that some people have turned away from God and they've turned to themselves and they, they've, they've turned to, you know, under their own selfish ways. The scripture teaches us that other people will turn away from their selfish ways and turn unto God for salvation. The scripture teaches us that, that mankind is, is, because we've loved our sin, we've ruined it, right? Adam and Eve, they loved their own desires. They did not trust God's word. So they brought all this death and destruction and corruption by their disobedience to God. Mankind is accountable before God, before our sin. We're going to give an account for everything that we do. The scriptures teach us that. The scriptures teach us the truth about salvation. That salvation is not, does not occur by you and I being a good person. That our good deeds outweigh our bad. And when it comes to the end, we just kind of put our life on the scales. And if we did good enough, we're in. The scripture says no. That's not what gets you in. The scripture doesn't teach us that if you're just religious and you go to church and pray the right amount of prayers and take enough sacraments or do all these various religious traditions that you're going to be in. The scripture teach us that salvation is by grace through faith not by our works or by our deeds that there's only one name under heaven by which men can be saved and it's the name of Jesus Christ salvation is only found in him it's the teaching of scripture that makes us wise unto salvation the proclamation of God's word you hear these stories sometimes about how God's word has powerfully moved in people's life listen to me has there ever been a time in your life where God's word has really touched your heart? Has there been a time where you've heard God's word and it touched your heart? I mean, if you're born again in this room, if you're saved, it's because somebody preached the gospel, right? And you heard it, God lifted the blinders off your eyes and you believed. Let me just tell you a few stories about people converted simply by hearing God's word. Augustine, the early church father in the late fourth century A.D., he was saved by hearing a little girl sing this song with the words, pick it up and read, pick it up and read. He picked up the Bible, read the book of Romans, and was converted. Martin Luther, very religious guy growing up, he takes his Bible and he goes and reads the book of Romans. He reads Romans 1.17, which says the just shall live by faith. And it cut him to the heart. And he came to trust Christ through faith, not by works, he was saved, and God used him to lead, lead the Protestant Reformation. Charles Spurgeon one time was preaching in London. He was testing out the acoustics of this auditorium where he was going to preach, and he shouts out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the story goes that there was a man, a janitor in the building that day, just cleaning the building, that heard Charles Spurgeon rehearsing his sermon and was cut to the heart and repented of his sins and was saved. A nine-year-old boy at a church camp heard a man preaching from John chapter 3, verse 5. Unless you're born of the water and of the Spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. If you want to have life with God forever, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. That young boy heard that message and was saved. That's me, Jason Wing, 1986. This is no ordinary book, you guys. Is this just some other book that sits on our shelf? Or is it the Holy Bible, set apart, different from all the rest? This is no ordinary book. It's the Word of God, and it can make you wise unto salvation in Jesus Christ. What does Romans 10, 13, 14, 17 say? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. 
But how will they call upon him that they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone, what? Preaching. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Someone's got to proclaim the message of the truth of God's word. And then people are saved. Guys, the problem is, we talked about this a little bit last week. I just want to reiterate it here because I think it's worth reiterating given our context of our church today. Guys, it is far too easy to read the scriptures and totally miss Jesus. The point of the scriptures is to lead us to God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, but it is far too easy to read the scriptures and miss Jesus. John chapter five, verse 39 and 40, Jesus says to the crowds, like, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. Guys, the scriptures are meant to lead us to Jesus. They're made to make us wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Martin Luther is famous for a quote where he said this, Scripture is like a manger in which the infant Jesus lies. Don't simply inspect the cradle and forget to worship the baby. Don't simply inspect the cradle of Scripture and forget to worship the baby. It's the truth in scripture that makes us wise to salvation. So we must know him biblically. So those are our three reasons why knowing him biblically is important. It's important because we need to be rightly taught about God. It's important because some will wrongly teach about God. And it's important because it's how we come to salvation through Jesus. So if you're convinced that knowing God through the Bible is important, here's the question. How will you pursue it? How will you pursue it? I want to talk about this on an individual level and as a collective level as a whole church. Individually, guys, how are you going to pursue knowing God biblically? I know we are all taught from a young age, if you've been a Christian, you've been taught to read your Bible. It's the basics, right? I mean, it's what we're taught. But how are you pursuing knowing God through his word? Do you have a plan? Really, that, that's my simple, this is my simple question for you today. If you believe that the Bible is how we truly know God, what's your plan for knowing God through his word? When's the last time you've opened your Bible, not for a school assignment, not because you came to church on a Sunday, not because you were part of a lecture, when's the last time you've opened your Bible and said, God, I want to know you? I want to know you. I heard somebody say one time that, uh, we can either read the Bible like cats or like dogs. What are cats all about? Cats walk in the room and they're all about themselves. Pet me, pay attention to me, I want my way, show me something, give me some attention here. Right? You can read the Bible like a cat. Lord, what's this, what's this for me? Solve my problem. How is this going to affect my life? Or you can read the Bible like a dog. What's a dog all about? Dog's all about enjoying his master. Dog's all about enjoying his owner. Like, I'm here to just love you and know you. Dog, you read the Bible like a dog, you know? Seriously, though, don't we oftentimes come to the Bible and we just think, like, this doesn't make any sense to me? Has it ever occurred to you that the Bible is not about you? I mean, it says some things about you, but ultimately, it's so you know God, right? What's your plan? If you don't have a study Bible, I encourage you to get a study Bible. 
It's a helpful, simple tool. If you don't have a Bible reading plan in place, I encourage you to get one. The one that I'm using this year is a simple app called He Reads Truth. There's another one for women called She Reads Truth, and there's various Bible reading apps on there that are important. I see some of you are chuckling at my app selection here. Thank you, Michael Wilson. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing, but we'll talk about it afterwards. Um, <laughs> um, maybe your plan is to get yourself some solid Bible teachings or a good sermon series that you listen to or a podcast that really warms your heart, not just so you know more Bible, but so that you come to worship God through the understanding of the Bible. Do you have a meaningful intake plan? That's the question for you individually. How are we going to pursue knowing God biblically as a church? Well, we must have a purposeful Bible teaching plan. So as a church, we want to be sure that we're being intentional about teaching God's word. Guys, we're talking about these nine characteristics of a disciple, that we want to be a church that helps people know God biblically. What does that mean? That means that every Sunday that you come here, like, we're going to preach God's word. Right? This isn't just story time with Jason or you know, story time with Scott Dixon or Phil Wing or whoever preaches. You know, like We need to open God's word and proclaim it. It's why my favorite way to preach through the Bible is straight through books of the Bible. Right? This is, it's because I want us to be exposed to the full counsel of God's word. It's why we have a classes ministry in this church. Because I can't cover everything in a Sunday sermon. Right? Like we, have, we need other learned teachers to be able to teach certain aspects of scripture and so we have a classes ministry we have some great classes going on right now I just popped in earlier today for our uh, class that's being taught about gospel conversations and um, sharing the gospel it was cool to just kind of pop in and listen in for a second if you haven't checked out our list of classes I encourage you to do that but I do want you to know that later this year maybe or or early next year we intend to pursue a a church-wide survey that really helps us understand, like, where is our congregation when it comes to our biblical literacy? Where are we as a whole in our understanding of the doctrines and uh, the teachings of Scripture? And based off that, you know, that's going to shape the way that we do Sunday teachings, and it's going to shape the way we offer classes. My hope is that eventually we can develop a, a blog or some sort of a, an app to use where our staff is writing and producing daily devotionals for our church to use day by day as a means for you just to have a daily walk with the Lord. So I'm excited about pursuing God biblically together. So I want to close with this, back to the story of the elephant and the blind men. Some will say that that picture of mankind, you know, trying to know God like the the blind man and the elephant, you know, they'll say, yeah, we can know parts of God, but we only kind of get part of it right. We're all blind to the truth. And I just want to say very clearly, statements like that sound humble at first. But here's the question. What if the elephant talks? What if the elephant tells you, hey, that's not a tree, it's my leg. That's not a rope, it's my tail. Right? That's not a spear, it's my tusk, because I am an elephant. And these are all the different parts of me. Guys, I just want to say this very directly. UBC, God has spoken. He is not silent. He has revealed himself to the world through his word and through his son. So to be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ, you must know him biblically. Let's pray. Father, um, we commit this... 
we commit ourselves to you, Lord, and at least I want to just f- be fully open to what you want for me. And Lord, I pray that you would put it on the hearts of everybody else who calls UBC home to just have hearts that are totally open to you, Lord. We want to know your will. You told us right here in your word that you give us the scripture and it's useful for teaching, but also for reproof and correction. Lord, I pray that somebody today would have their eyes open and be taught more about who you are and why Jesus came. I pray that some people who need today would be reproved and corrected because they have been neglecting the teaching of your word for far too long. I pray that we would all engage in your word so that we can be trained in righteousness and start to live for you day by day. Lord, we want to know you and we want to make you known. We want to be people with God-centered lives. We want to be people, Lord, that with the days that you give us between our birthday and our death day, Lord, we want to honor you with that dash in between. Now, Lord, I pray that you would let us come to know you through your word and that you would let us come to know how we can make you known through your word. We want to be people who know you biblically. Thank you that you gave us your word, Lord. What a gift. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.